0: Welcome to Ritual of Practice Podcast. I am your host, Angela Houghton. The intention of this podcast is to inspire your practice. I thought it would be fun to offer stories of how different people integrate practice in their lives. I am so appreciative of the humans that share their experience on this podcast, and to you, listener, for joining us. May you show up for what lights you up. Today on the show, I am interviewing my friend, Lisa, Lisa Hathaway. Lisa and I once spent a winter highly motivated to backcountry ski. So we would get up super early because we needed to, well, we wanted, we didn't need to, we wanted to get some runs in before work. I was working in an office at the time and she affectionately named our group, the Dom Patrol. We had a lot of fun doing that. And over the years, she's also tried to Get the sport of climbing to stick for me, which it never really did. So I did have the joy of going climbing with Lisa a couple times, and um, she's very encouraging to climb with. Lisa's a semi professional climber and has inspired many women, and not just women, women and men with climbing. But today on the show, we're talking about music. Um, I've also enjoyed dancing to Lisa's music, and now I learned she's in multiple bands. And I've always been fascinated by her commitment to music over the years. And so I thought it would be fun to interview her about her music practice. So that's what we're talking about today on the show. And even if you're not interested in music, uh, Lisa shares shares some real nuggets of inspiration for making it easy to incorporate whatever it is you love to practice into your life. Thanks for listening. I am here in the studio today with Lisa Hathaway. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming to talk with me today on the Ritual of Practice podcast. It is a pleasure to be here, Angela. Thank you for inviting me. Yay! It's fun. We're in my house today, my in-home studio, which has lots of fun complications. Well, the fun ones are are alive, the dogs. (laughs) So we took us a moment to figure that out, but I think we've navigated. You may hear some heavy breathing by the old dog this morning, but... um, He's happy to be with us.
1: I think after the, the quarantine months or years, we're all now used to hearing like dogs barking and, and children playing and frolicking and delivery men coming to doors on <laughs> national public radio. So That's so true. So we've got that birth now.
0: This is true. One of the many um, cool things that came out of the pandemic. Well, I asked Lisa to come in and talk with me today specifically about music. I could have asked her for other things. We've been friends for a long time. She also lives in Moab, Utah, and that's why she's able to come into my home studio today. She's an avid climber, and um, she's had a really cool job for as long as I've known her, (laughs) which we could be talking about that as well. But the thing that I have found um as her friend really fascinating and observing her over the years is her relationship to her music practice. So my first question, Lisa, is what initially sparked your interest in playing music?
1: You want to go to the way back to the,
0: to the, way, to the <laughs> way back machine? Way back. I want to go all the way back.
1: Well to go to the way back machine. Um when I was in fifth grade, well, first of all, even way back further, I did grow up in a house that um we, my parents played a lot of music it wasn't like on constantly they weren't like super um you know like connoisseurs of any particular type of music but um you know we had a record album and there was a lot of music being played in the house from like Elvis Presley to the 70s super groups like Crosby Stills Nash and Young and concert for the people of Bangladesh and Peter Paul and Mary and all that kind of stuff so We were always listening to music in our household, and it seemed like there were always various instruments scattered about, but there wasn't any formality to it at all. And then when I was in fifth grade, I got mono and was housebound and basically bedbound for six weeks during which I grew like four to six inches. I can't remember what. For real? So I probably would have only been five eight if I hadn't had mono. And you noticed because you're in your bed and just where your toes were touching? Uh, because like when I got out of bed, none of my clothes fit. Oh, wow. So, which like caused my mom so much distress. I was a fast grower Um, and that didn't help or it did help. However you want to look at it. Um, But during that time period, my mom had a guitar always floating around the house and... We had some songbooks floating around the house, and I just picked it up and started teaching myself. Like, you know, if you are have ever dabbled with music or with guitar and these songbooks, you see there's these little boxes at the top, like over the words, and you're like, what is this little box? And this box is a chord shape, and it shows you basically on a grid how to make these chords.
0: And so I just started
1: learning how to play chords.
0: But did your mom tell you that piece or because this is I mean this is really fascinating thinking of how you know someone would likely go to YouTube to learn that today but you're just looking at a songbook and figuring out that that is how you place your fingers on the instrument.
1: Yeah like you if you have like and I'm sure there was at some point someone was like this is the low string and this is the high string and they're both E's and in between that you have these other strings because I have I don't have a memory of being taught how to tune a guitar, but I knew a guitar needed to be in tune. And maybe I remember having a tiny little keyboard, sometimes like the ones you see in like a yoga class, like these little mini organs. Mm -hmm. So I probably would just tune it to that. (laughs) kind of like a harmonium, like that size, but it was an actual like little organ. And so I remember playing on that all the time and that's probably how I figured out how to tune it. And then you just see, there's like six lines on this grid And then the vertical orientation of the grid has, I don't even know how many numbers, because it will, if you go down the neck of the guitar on the things called frets, the little divisions on the guitar, it might say five at the top of the little grid. So then, you know, you're starting at the fifth fret and making your chord from there. But anyway, yeah, so I kind of just like figured that out somehow.
0: You taught yourself while you were sick. <laughs> taught myself while I was sick, and then coming out of illness, and then getting back into all the things you were doing. Um, how did it? Did you leave it for a bit, or did it hang? Were you still do play then diving into that?
1: Well, oddly enough, when by the time I got into sixth grade, we had a teacher. Um, he was like anyone who's from Maine. If anyone from Maine is listening to this, they'll know immediately that I'll be like, oh yeah, Mr. Corbett. about Mr. Corbett. <laughs> And he somehow, we had a bunch of um kids who were interested in playing guitar, and some of them were really quite proficient. I was not one of the more proficient ones, but um that got fostered into him being like, let's create this musical group.
0: I and
1: we called ourselves the honey bears. That's adorable. <laughs> and it was like any, you know, it was a lot of kids. I look back at the pictures, there were a lot of kids, and some of us played guitar. I don't even remember if I played guitar all the time in the Honey Bears or if it was other gals. So anyway, it became this on and off thing all through high school and then on and off all through, as I like to say, like many things in my 20s, it was an on again, off again relationship. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I moved to Moab and met Aaron Cooper, um, who at the time was under 21, and Dwight Chapman, who lives here in town now, and um, a couple other of our friends, and we started, um, basically it evolved into a Grateful Dead cover band couple of them, several of them.
0: The, this group of humans that you just referenced yeah. evolved into a.
1: Yeah, Aaron wasn't in, in the first iteration. That was with um, Kyle Copeland and Dwight Chapman and Joe Keshner and Tom Hall. They were starting like this man band, and I was dating Joe, and I just got kind of tired of being left out all the time because they would do the total garage band thing. And it's 10 o'clock at night. Let's start playing music in Kyle's basement. And so. In order to not be left out, (laughs) I just inserted myself. (laughs) Well, plus I was like, Tom and I were the only ones who wanted really to sing and could remember words. Kyle could too.
0: Were Joe and Tom climbers? I feel like, I don't know these people, but... Recreational, recreational climbers. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And Tom is still playing music. Dwight is still playing music. Joe is still playing music. You're still playing music. I'm still (laughs) playing music.
0: Aaron's still playing music. So... And what's the i the name of your current band for the listener?
1: Oh God, which one?
0: I know. <laughs> Tell us about all of them. Well, the most
1: recent formed band is called the Butch Cassidy's, and it is such a great name. It's just and it hilariously that name evolved throughout a text conversation, which a lot of people find humorous. And that is four women: Josie Kovash, Trista, who you mm-hmm. teach yoga with, Emily Cox, uh, myself. And then we have various um, Sundance kids who will come in and play various different shows, depending on. Emily's really good at just, like, meeting people and being like, oh, you're a violin prodigy? Come play with us. And so we get all this um, influx of, of really good energy and really good people. Eric Jones is probably our most reliable Sundance kid. He's a mandolin player um, extraordinaire. Um and he also plays with me and Josie and Glenn Sherrill in a band called The Rogue Assets. Josie and I have a duet that we call The Railbirds, and Josie and I play with her parents, among other locals, the Kiffmeyer Brothers, Sam Wayner, uh, and other various Sundance kids, so to speak, in a band called Phil Dirt. Phil Jimmy Farrell. I don't want to forget Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy's the newest, most recent addition to the to the Phil Dirt band.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Well, we can link, if any of these play, you know, have homes on social media or websites, I can link in the show notes so folks can take a listen to your different bands.
1: Definitely we will do that. Emily has an EP out, and um, it's really fun. She's a great songwriter. Trist is also a good songwriter. We have one song in the hopper from her now. And um, Josie's also a good songwriter. I am arguably the least useful person in any band, but I do have a PA. Oh, I'm not <laughs> buying that. I'm so not buying that. And I'm good at organizing certain parts
0: of the whole show. So. <laughs> so what is practice? I mean, there's the practice of like what it took for you to get to this point where you could play in multiple bands. Because I would imagine there's a bit of an adjustment to different personalities and different styles. Um, What does practice look like today as far as keeping up on the music that you're learning for these different bands? Right?
1: Yeah. Well, I sometimes joke that being in a band is like, um, you know, it's it's like having like multiple domestic partners, but... With all the drama and none of the benefits. Polygamy. <laughs> Polygamy. <laughs> Polygamy. Yeah. However you no, want to look at it. That's what polyamorous. polyamorous. I, I do. I do <laughs> often say that my guitar is polyamorous at open mic nights. I'm like, this guitar is not in um a uh, exclusive relationship. If you'd like to fondle her, feel free. Come on up. No, it is. It's tricky because you do with every situation that you're in. Um, you know, for example, you know, we used to have a disco band. Yes. And that, you know, there was a lot of um, personality in that band. So it was always <laughs> kind of like, OK, how's how are these personalities going to work together tonight? And we always had a great working relationship, but you just never know. Like someone gets frustrated or someone, you know, oh, I can't believe she dropped that chord change again. That would probably be them thinking that about me. And you just, you know, because You're all in it together, which is really great because people have your back. But also you feel this responsibility, just like, you know, if you're on a basketball team and you're making two free throws and you're down by one and you don't make them, you know, and you could have won the game for your team. So there's pressure to not drop the ball. (laughs) And then there's pressure to manage all the different personalities. But when it flows, it's great. You know, it's like when you're riding your mountain bike and you're just not thinking, you're just like, woo. (laughs) and that's how it's very similar thing when you play music Mm, that would feel good
0: or it sounds like it would feel good um but real specifically (laughs) so so, (laughs) the uh the practice element of you practicing the chords or learning a particular song is that something you do um in your own time like at your house or is that something that would happen with the specific folks in your band at this point
1: in my perfect world i treat it like and i'll use this metaphor um often which is it's it should be like showing up to field hockey practice in september you know like you need to be ready to play like you can't be shown how to like hold your hockey stick so in the perfect world, everyone does their homework extrinsically. And then intrinsically, when you get together, you have a place to launch from. And so then I think you also get a lot of good energy for how the song's going to come together. People have different ideas. Mm-hmm. So that is my perfect world is that everybody knows the chords and the words to a fairly decent extent. And you hit the ground running. In reality, a lot of times you're like all learning the song together. And then that can be a lot of, um, you know, splitting hairs and stopping and starting and um, a little bit more frustrating, but it can also have a high reward because you get to really see it come together. You know, you got all the ingredients on the counter and salt by itself and flour by itself are nothing. But when you start mixing them all together, a little bit of water and a little bit of yeast and then some thyme, and then all of a sudden you have sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. So.
0: hmm <laughs> Do you find that when you're practicing on your own, do you like to do that in the morning? Like, is that a first thing in the morning, midday or at night? What does that look like?
1: Well, as you and I have previously discussed, (laughs) I am a bit fly by the seat of my pants when it comes to that. And for some reason with music, um, you've mentioned climbing before, I can go into my climbing wall and start with, you know, my warm ups and then proceed to the harder projects and Spend three hours easily Mm -hmm. with a fairly structured format working on that skill. Yeah. And then when it comes to music, I'm just like, I look at my guitar and I get fairly unmotivated when I'm playing by myself. I'm trying to actually, as I'm doing less climbing and things like that, I'm trying to actually get a little bit more structure into my playing because you see that when people practice, they actually are... It's a good thing we're both sitting down, make improvements and just get more proficient and, you know, can take it to higher levels. So I'm trying to be better about that. I don't know why drilling on the guitar to me is like
0: torture, but drilling in the climbing wall is just like, okay, let's go do this. And yet you love it. And I i mean, I'm, I think I'm making this assumption, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you love both of them. Yes. And so it is fascinating. This is what actually inspired me to start this podcast, because I think it is so fascinating, <laughs> the journey that we each have with practice and how it can look so different um, in different arenas of our lives. I, I mean, one thing that stands out to me is just the creative nature of the music, but not that climbing can't be creative, because I imagine there is creative problem solving that's happening. But there's some, that physical piece, what is, what do you think of when I, when I reflect on
1: I mean, that, that does make the most sense to me. If I try to look at it analytically, then I'm left with, it must just be that my brain chemistry likes the physical exertion more than the um, mental, or I guess it would be mostly mental exertion when you're like practicing by yourself on an instrument. So I'm not really, you know, I'm not really sure why that happens the way it does, but there have been tools, you know, now we're in this modern age of like all kinds of interesting gadgets. And a few years back, I got this thing called a looper pedal. So you can play a guitar for yourself or whatever instrument and make a track, so to speak, that repeats itself. And so then I'm more inclined to be like, okay, well, does this scale work? Does that scale work? How does this note work? And with YouTube too, you know, I've learned so much from like furtive 14-year-old boys staring at their bedroom door like they're going to get in trouble any second when their parent realizes they're making a YouTube video. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking guitar lessons from this teenager in Kansas. So that's kind of cool. That is super cool because it's hard to schedule in Moab, I find. And I think from my life as a climber, it it was always hard to schedule because you're, you're waiting out weather windows. Like your life is just completely dictated by conditions, as mm-hmm. we call it. And so it would be hard to be like, oh, I'm going to make a guitar lesson for two o'clock on Thursday. But if I can't climb on Wednesday, I want to climb on Thursday and yada, yada, yada. And so with tools like YouTube, it does... For me personally it helps to get that discipline back in a little more regularity for learning a song the other thing i'll ramble on about is i'll often like be listening to music in my car at night my Mm -hmm. night job and if i hear something that like catches my attention i'll tend to like i'll just play it over and over and over again Mm -hmm. like a kid with finding nemo and then i get home and i'll like run to my guitar and like try to learn that song
0: so thank you for sharing that i think that's super (laughs) fun I I, I'm starting to do that a little bit with writing because I've been reading so much. And now as I try to push my writing a little bit more and I find that same sort of thing, like the discipline, it's way easier for me to go physically practice something than to sit uh, and write. And so I've been playing with different tools. And one of the things I like to use is just a timer. I'm like, Angela... You can sit here for 20 minutes. Right. Yep. And right, so just start the timer. Because what will happen is I'll be like, oh, I can go change the laundry. Oh, there's a pile of dishes downstairs. Oh, I need to call this person. And it will just be like all these things that want to pull or, you know, mm-hmm. excuses to pull me away. And excuses or reasons. Yeah. Depends <laughs> on the day, <laughs> the
1: perspective. <laughs> no, you're doing down dog and you see dust under your couch and you're like, oh, I got to get the vacuum cleaner out. Totally. We're, but yet I can be my climbing wall and see cobwebs all over the place and be like, I should really get to that. But let me do this problem first. So, yeah, it's like focusing, finding ways to and I'll use the um, expression temptation bundling, which is kind of timer related or whatever. But you can integrate that into a timed thing in that I try to create something hard for me to get to like. Why is doing a yoga practice hard? You know, because of the distractions that are inherent in your house. So what's the temptation bundling? Oh, well, if I get through this whole series, then I'll eat a cookie. Yep. (laughs) I could do that for myself too. So, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of temptation bundling. I used to use it a lot when I was a runner and I'd go on the treadmill. I'm like, all right, if you want to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you're gonna do it on the treadmill. And that way it's I look at it as win-win. Yeah. Some people might look at it as a little too, like, um, quid pro quo, <laughs> which I have no problem with quid
0: pro quo with myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think we may have a similar style and approach to this. I'm curious, does your um, climbing, so can I say that you're a professional climber? So I mean, I always <laughs> said semi-professional. Okay. okay.
1: Retired really? semi-professional <laughs> climber.
0: For most of your adult life, really, yeah. would you say? Yeah. yeah. Um, So would you say that your music practice um, feeds your climbing or your climbing practice feeds your music at all? They connect in ways that I think are
1: interesting and maybe not like um, obvious on face, but I'd also throw in there that my childhood experience as a figure skater Mm -hmm. and even a basketball player and um, field hockey player in that at one point I made this huge breakthrough in climbing that also correlated with a breakthrough in music with the ability to memorize material. Mm. So when you're climbing a route that's hard for you, it's called red pointing, which implies you're going to try the route more than one time because you fall. It's hard for you. So you fail, so to speak, which um, failure in the best way. I think failure is a great thing. So no negativity there. But you have to learn all the moves and you have to learn these subtle things often that we call a micro beta, which might be like shifting your thumb just like 10 degrees on a hold just to get it that much better to allow you to like move another part of your body. And when I started thinking about climbs as choreography, like, why do you have such a hard time remembering these moves? You used to be a figure skater. You, could, you never forgot what you were going to do to the music you know so I started applying that concept to climbing and then it immediately carried over to music too when I just started like instead of looking at it as like something I had to learn when I started to think of it as a choreographed thing so it all tied together that way Mm -hmm. in a really obtuse probably to anyone but me way
0: (laughs) that's what's so beautiful about it because I think yeah, I mean, obviously you're a multifaceted <laughs> human and um, I I would imagine being your friend that there was some connection or overlap um, just in knowing you over the years. And then, of course, you know, the
1: two like inspire each other back and forth. Like I'll often listen to music when I'm climbing. And if I'm climbing by myself, I don't like I'm no, not the person who brings the speakers to the crag or anything like, <laughs> God, I hate that. But, you know, same thing on the bike. Sometimes I'll put on, like, my headphones. Full disclosure, if nobody else is around, it's, like, off-season because, you know, you're not supposed to wear headphones when you're riding your bike. But when the conditions permit permitted, <laughs> so you can just zone out it. and, like, get into the music. And then you do start to, like, notice that your, like, pedal stroke is, like, yeah. starting to measure up with the, um, sync up with the music. And you can just, like, pick the right songs to be like, okay. I'm going to go ride dead man's today and I want this certain kind of cadence.
0: So it all links together. You alluded to um, the ebb and flow of the relationship to music in your early 20s. Was there ever a period where you just kind of dropped it and lost interest completely? And then how did you find your way back? I mean, I feel like, I feel like there was almost always a
1: guitar around or available that might get picked up occasionally, as you also know, dear listeners, I am an avid fan of the Grateful Dead. (laughs) and I used to, you know, go to Grateful Dead shows and stuff like that. And there's always like a music scene associated with that. And like in your dorm in college, you like find the deadheads find each other and you jam a little bit. Um, I got to a point when I was like high school, college, where I feel like I got kind of tapped out by not knowing what bar chords were. And even like real musicians can you tell the listener'll tell the listener um what's a barcode a bar chord is basically um so there are a couple things on a guitar that there's like the open first position chords that a lot of people will learn and a lot of people actually learn cheater chords to make it easier the guitar is actually not a super intuitive instrument to play so for all the prodigies out there who like in the 60s or 50s picked up the guitar and like just started shredding on it like kudos to you Eric Clapton and and Keith Richards and all you know like Keith Richards with his five string guitar because he broke a string and couldn't afford another one you know and just like figuring this out and one of the things that you do with a guitar unlike the piano so if you think of a piano you think of 88 keys laid out from left to right And the piano is chromatic in the sense that you start on the lowest note and each note gets a little bit higher with the, whatever it is, 12 semitones that we have in Western music. So it all makes sense in a sense. Black keys are hard. Yes, we know this, but it's still chromatic. A guitar is not chromatic and most stringed instruments that you hold in your left hand and strum with your right hand are not chromatic. They often, um, they have like intervals between the strings. So on the guitar, to make it even more, less or less intuitive, you have fifths until you get to the B string, which is the fifth second highest and the fifth string, as we would call it on the guitar. Then you have a fourth, and then you have another fifth. So the shapes in the standard tuning on a guitar, the shapes are kind of weird. And once you get to know them, you're like, okay. But then you kind of get limited because you like look at these, going back to the books, And you see something like C sharp minor and you're like, I have no idea how you're, what I'm supposed to do here. Because no one tells you when you're just looking at the books that you have to use your finger as what we'll call a capo, which is something that you can clip onto a guitar to put you in a higher register or a different register. So you're still playing like the same shapes that you played in the first position, but by using your finger to fret all the strings, you're playing a different chord whereas on the piano you just move your hands like here's a c here's a d and you're making different shapes as you go along on a guitar when you get to a certain point you have to
0: you have to fret all the strings to make these shapes it's kind of hard to explain do you how How do you do your was there a period where your fingers were in a lot of discomfort no i never had finger discomfort but i just didn't know like you know
1: i just got kind of bored because i didn't know how to take it to the next step and then, and I always give credit to my um, then boyfriend, Joe, who taught me how to teleski and also taught me how to play bar chords. And it literally like changed my life in 20 minutes. It was just like one of those experiences you have in life where it's like the elevator doors are pried open and whatever like, gray world you were living in, it's like when the colors come on and uh, the original um, Wizard of Oz. That's what it was like. And it was like that fast because he just showed me that it's all the same shapes you just are using. And this is how you count. And I was just like, wow.
0: Yeah. And that's a long time considering you started in fifth grade until whenever that relationship right. was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a lot long, way past fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fun. Um, So do you see yourself continuing to play music
1: the rest of your life? I mean, that was always my big plan was when climbing started to peter out, then I would just become like a prodigy guitar. player. <laughs> but wait, do you actually see yourself climbing the rest of your life too at this? Yeah, but I mean, the level's going to change, right? Because that's just like a fact of life and the level has already changed. So, but the thing that I never factored into this big, like 30 year plan was that all the years of climbing would actually make it harder to play the guitar because your fingers do get pretty trashed. And you lose mobility in your hand. And I was like, "Well," oh. And my joke about how Josie one time was like, you
0: didn't see this woman," And I was like, no, I didn't. I thought it's it would just be annoying. fine. Yeah, the body's so capable.
1: I thought I'd just stop climbing and then my fingers would work perfectly fine. But, yeah, not exactly
0: easy. the case. But that's all right. Doesn't mean I can't keep trying. Yeah. And I don't know, are there some some bone supporting, some muscle supporting. supporting. Well, what we need
1: is um, we need arthritis reducing.
0: Yeah. Inflammation reducing specific diet.
1: But yeah, it is kind of funny. And I'm sure you know this from your experiences with mountain biking, probably even before you got really into yoga and you were more, you know, you were not saying more, you were mountain biking a lot. And then suddenly you like try to stretch your
0: hamstrings and you're like, when did these get so tight? Oh I remember I would go to a class locally here in town and I there was very little I could actually do I remember being in such great discomfort because of how I was using my bike or my my body from mountain biking and also um working at restaurants and yeah everything was so uncomfortable so much tightness in my body and yeah it's it's a very different experience now but yeah, spending way more time practicing yoga now than, and then the other things. But now we
1: know if we get on our bikes, because I had like sort of a, you know, with my yoga going to classes and stuff like that, I was like, okay, I'm I'm down with like 80% of this or whatever, like, yeah, I'm no like pigeon expert or, or like I could never like reach behind my back and grab my foot and pull it to my head. Like my body didn't like that, but I liked a lot of the other things that other people's didn't. So I was like, okay. And then I started mountain biking due to two climbing injuries and I couldn't really do yoga and I couldn't really climb. So all I could do is mountain bike. And then after like two years, the injuries were at a place where I started doing yoga again. And I was like, oh my God, I have so much more empathy now for the people who used to be like, I just can't do it. It hurts too much.
0: And I was like, it didn't hurt. It feels great. What are you talking about? But I do think it's just practice. You know, like I think that I could still be mountain biking at the level that i was before but because i was doing so little yoga like i actually started practicing yoga because of back pain right um intense back pain from the uh, amount of mountain biking and guiding i was doing and so yeah like i think that it is just practice so it comes back to the the um the time invested. Yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: And knowing now we have the knowledge. Yeah. I didn't have that knowledge. I never, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be able to do splits in three directions. So then I learned the hard way, like, oh, I can barely even get my feet apart.
0: Yeah. Sometimes I joke in class, I'm like, whether you're just sitting and doing nothing, or you're like using your body a lot, like things are going to get tight. So it's, yeah, I think that the yoga practice, just like so many things, just speeds itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, the more, I never thought that the splits would be accessible. That wasn't something that was accessible accessible to me when I was younger, um, naturally. And But there was a period um, where I just dedicated a chunk of time to lengthening my hamstrings and hip flexors and such. And, and it was pretty fascinating that with some <laughs> dedicated practice, I was able to approach it a little bit more and and I don't, I, it's funny to say that on here because I don't, I'm at a place where I think it's really important to not make it about the posture. Um, but from the aspect of practice, I do find it pretty fascinating what, um, you know, that dedication, just like bringing it back to music and what it feels like to go in prepared, you know, yeah. to a band <laughs> <Yeah.
1: 'Cause laughs> gathering. Like uh-huh. I often say with fitness or with yoga or with music, it's like, you can't, You can cram to a certain extent, but there are some things you just can't cram. You've got to like have your like, you know, if you've got like a gig, you've got to have like your six week plan of if I want to play these songs, this is what I have to do to be ready to play these songs. And for me, like a lot of it is actually the mental part of like we, you know, being off the paper, so to speak. So not needing any kind of like an iPad or a sheet of music or anything like that, because I just think you play way better. If you're not trying to like keep up, if you already if you're just there and you're not even thinking Mm. about it, you're just in the zone. Again, we can make so many like analogies towards our other sports or whatever. But when you're not thinking is when you do the best when you're on your mountain bike and you're riding over a crux and not thinking about it because you're looking at the next one down the road and preparing for that. When you get to that one, you're not thinking about it. Your body is just doing what your brain told it to do. 50 yards back or whatever and it's the same thing with music you want to be like mentally ahead of it so when you
0: get there it just happens it's not awkward or forced yeah Yeah. that's that's the beauty and that's where we want to spend more and more time yes (laughs) (laughs) once we know how it feels good spot to be in Yeah. yeah and it's those little bits over time though and that's where the patience of the practice i think is You know, because we don't feel it necessarily in the moment. Um, It's way down the road and we look back and we're like, oh, it's all those little bits added up over time that made this moment possible. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I I think we've kind of hinted at that's on my list is what inspires your practice now?
1: I think that a lot. um, I mean, I want to be more. I want to. I try to come up with ways to. You know, we joke guitar players are a dime a dozen, right? Which is true. So I try to come up with ways to be more, I don't want to say useful because that sounds like a little too, I don't know, pandery or whatever, but that's the best thing I can come up with right now is like finding a way to like create something that maybe someone else wouldn't create in that space. So a lot of times if I'm listening to music that we're playing or like a song that Emily wrote, I'm like, okay, what can I do with a guitar or with my voice that is going to you know, lift this part of the song and you know, maybe take it through some curves here and there. And it's tricky because I'm not that great of a guitar player. I don't have that much in my toolbox. So I have to figure out ways to use what I have, not redundantly. Because that is something that, you know, you're like, geez, I just played that riff in the past six songs. So how can I make the song different and still like make it sound good?
0: It's hard for me to hear that you're not that great of a guitar player. So I guess I'm curious who you're comparing yourself to. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like Eric Clapton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, even locally, there are so many great guitar players and, and they have earned it. You know, like Glenn Cheryl is a great example. Um, I mean, I don't know how local or how distant your podcast reaches. So people who are listening might not know who Glenn is, but he's a local guy. Is. You don't know who Glenn is? No. Oh, you should know who Glenn is. Okay. And he's a phenomenal guitar player. And he's an inspiration to me. Eric Jones is a phenomenal musician, both guitar and especially mandolin. And he's very inspirational to me. Just locally in this town, there are so many Jono and Jasper and David Mealy, all these people who are like really good musicians. And you listen to them play and you're like, oh, and my friend Jay got to give props to my friend Jay, who I play with almost every Wednesday night um, at an open mic night. And the things that he does, I'm just like, holy crap, like show me that riff and how do I get to do that? And I know that a lot of it is full credit to these guys. They committed themselves at some point in life. Oftentimes this is going to get a little gendery, but oftentimes like young guys will commit themselves to like wood shopping, particularly on the guitar. Whereas, and hopefully this is changing as we go through time and I'll just throw the little nugget out there that we used to do the um KZMU would sponsor a youth rock camp and for both me and Josie one of our big inspirations is like we want to try to and Aaron to influence young girls to want to pick up the guitar to pick up mm-hmm. the bass to pick up to not be just the girl in the front with the microphone and mm-hmm. just like throw that trope out and you know get that guitar on and learn the riffs and you don't need to have a lead guitar player if you're the lead guitar player mm-hmm. so you know have that course if you're finding your bliss through just holding the microphone singing that's fine
0: too (laughs) but do you think that that's from what was what they were seeing like what um what they were digesting Uh, young women versus young men like seeing the men playing i'm curious because this is right because
1: especially with rock and roll music it's incredibly male-dominated right you in folk music and country music you see a little bit more gender parity um but I used to be like, you know, who, who is the female Warren Haynes? Who's going to inspire me? Like, I want to be Warren Haynes, but yeah. I don't want to be Warren Haynes. I want to be the female Warren Haynes. Who is that person, you know? Yeah. And I still haven't really succeeded in finding that person who's, you know, head of my generation. I'm sure she's out there somewhere, and I just haven't come across her on YouTube yet. She's probably 18. And I hope there's a lot of them out there. But for whatever reason, yeah, just culturally in America... In rock and roll music, it was definitely like where the dudes went into their parents' basement and played the drums for four hours straight, listening to Dark Side of the Moon with their headphones on. And it sounds like I'm making a broad sweeping generalization, but it's really not. You know, it's just how it is or was.
0: Yeah, but I do think it's changing and it is exciting. And I think that I also want to give credit to you because even if it doesn't feel like it, I mean, I I think you know this intuitively, if you allow it in, that you have inspired many, you know, just in all the things that you've done. I mean, you've inspired me and you're inspiring people through this podcast. I mean, the rock camp, who knows how many lives you've touched, you know, that you aren't even aware of. Um, so it gives me the goosebumps. And <laughs> I, so you are an inspiration Thank just you. by being yourself and doing what you've done.
1: Well, Thank and you. I do hope that like, you know, I used to, or I often will say, I keep saying, I often will say, You know, my leads might be slightly pathetic compared to Jay's or Glenn's or whatever, but there's some little girl who's going to be out there Mm -hmm. who's going to see somebody in, you know, like maybe even that little girl's like, well, that solo wasn't quite as ripping as the dude on the other side of her, but she's still stepping up and doing it. Yeah. And there is a little prejudice, even like in some of the, you know, with older musicians that like, oh, well, he's the lead guitar player and you're the rhythm guitar player. It's like, no, if I'm going to be in this band, I don't have to take a lead in every song. But and Bonnie Raitt was like the one who really inspired a lot of people to toe that line because she was a prodigy, obviously. And people wanted her to come play shows with them or whatever. And they're like, OK, well, here's your part. She's like, no, I am playing lead slide guitar or I am not participating in this project Mm -hmm. and you know her leads are perfection and they may not be as busy as a Derek Trucks or you know a Dwayne Allman rest in prodigy Dwayne Allman but she held her ground on that and I have so much respect for that that she was just like and then you know there's people trickling like St. Vincent and
0: where you're starting to see a little bit more of that, but I want more. <laughs> I think it's happening, and I think yeah, I, I think, think so we too. Need to see more, and I think that not only seeing you, I think you'd be surprised at how maybe the young woman might not even notice um the difference, but it's that visual yeah. of seeing, and then the building of the confidence and the possibility.
1: Yeah, and I think that all the people, like all of us in the Butch Cassidy's, really feel that way. Like. There's this like undertow of like, hey, little girls out there or older girls out there. It doesn't matter what age you are. You don't have to even be a, you know, female, male, whatever. Like the
0: person who is like, well, maybe I can leave my living room. You know, those guys can do it. I can do it. (laughs) Totally. I hear that all the time still. Oh, mountain biking. I was just mountain biking um, in another country with a woman that I met for that day. And she's new to the sport. And she said to the other woman I was riding with, like, seeing you she rides so much with men seeing you do it gives me the confidence that I can do it and I hadn't heard that in a while because you know I I just hadn't ridden with a woman that was newer to the sport recently I think and so I was like oh this is so powerful and I remember feeling this myself and you know when I first moved to Moab so um yeah there's there's definitely something there still and you gotta spread the inspo (laughs) spread the inspo we're doing it uh, my last question is, what is the last book that you read or what are you currently reading? Either oh my or. gosh. What was the last book?
1: I have been, um, this actually ties into our conversation. Oh my gosh. What is the name of it? I I can't even remember. Is it called This Is Music? It's a David Byrne book. Okay. I would call it more like a, a tome. It's just this huge manual about music and David Byrne, who, of the talking heads. Okay. Um, for those who don't know um, who David Byrne is. <laughs> And, and a lot of it is just like philosophical and some ephemeral stuff. And there's also some technical stuff. It's um, been a bit of a challenge to get through it, like in one push, I'm just like, oh, God, this is taking me forever. Because um, I often read at night, I know, serious readers (laughs) you should you should read when you're most alert (laughs) and i'm like Mm -hmm. the opposite i usually read to like drift off yeah so do i so sometimes i'm not reading stuff that's too cerebral and so
0: like every oh how music works i think that's Mm -hmm. the actual name yeah we can look it up and um i'll put it in the show notes this makes me think of i'm reading madonna's um biography right now um and i know i don't think she she came to it from dance i think not from playing an instrument um, but I'm really enjoying it. Speaking of like women's empowerment and how she shifted uh, a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot. It's yeah. It's been a really fun read for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: She's definitely inspirational, even though I'm not like a fan of Madonna music or even like Lady Gaga music. I am com- or even Taylor Swift music. I'm completely I'm completely fans of what they bring to the table. Like I watched the Taylor Swift Tiny Dust concert, which um, I would put that on everybody's to do list. And I wasn't that interested in listening to her songs, I have to admit. It just isn't like what I like to listen to. Mm-hmm. But I was just completely wrapped with all her interstitial chatting and how personable she is. And I feel like, you know, that just brings so much too. like, I feel like she is putting out this, um, you know, hey, kids out there, you can do this too. like yes. do what you love and you can still be a human. <laughs> you know, you're not like, I don't know. I also love reading um, rock and roll or whatever. I love biographies. And when you read rock and roll biographies, it's there's a lot of crash and burn and
0: hopefully redemption. Is there one that stands out? I, I mean, I'm an avid reader. And I, just,
1: I really loved David Crosby's um, and it was called Long Time Gone. And what I really loved about that is I felt like versus a lot of memoirs and Graham Nash's was also really good. I feel like they were a little bit more
0: honest about their shortcomings. Hmm. that's important yeah and that's super important for inspiration
1: yeah because I think a lot of people gloss over like even when I read Eric Clapton's I was like I don't think you're really coming to terms with your own drug use (laughs) and with your you know like the missing years of Eric Clapton where he was just like apparently holed up in a castle in England and everyone's like waiting for the next project and waiting and waiting and he's just like off in his world and I had to read about that like in other formats, because I was like, "What is this? Like the missing years? I'd never heard of this." Yeah, but I feel like Crosby and his um, ghostwriter—I'm presuming he had one—really just didn't shy away from the fact that there was a, you know, it's, it's totally MTV behind the music, the steep trajectory, the crash
0: down, and then hopefully some form of phoenix rising. Well, this leads to a whole nother thing. <laughs> I This is to wrap up our interview, but this is now like opening this whole other door, which is about capacity. And, you know, it's not just in the realm of music. It's in really all realms when there is that street, steep peak and the crash, you know, because as a human, um, if that happens too fast, I've been like reading a lot about this and kind of studying this, that if we don't have the capacity to hold, <laughs> then there is typically the crouch.
1: Yeah, and it tends to be very sinusoidal and that like as high as you go, you tend to like go, you know, also have an e- So it's good to be prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> Aware that this is a possible. <laughs> Aware that this is a probability that generally our life trajectory is not like a steady geometric climb, but it's uh, very wobbly. And you don't have to stay down there. No. You just have to increase the capacity to hold. No. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you, you got to like, walk into those transitions but you just don't want to auger into them and just get stuck there exactly keep moving through it we use that a lot in climbing like yes it's difficult if you're going from a left-leaning crack to a right-leaning crack that transition is really hard and awkward but it's not going to get less hard and awkward by sitting in it it's just going to get worse so you got to push through it and then hopefully don't clip the chains.
0: <laughs> we could do a whole nother episode on your climbing. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming in today, Lisa. Oh, it's been it's... my pleasure. A real gift. <laughs> yeah. Super fun to talk to you about the specifics of your practice. <laughs> the specifics of the most wobbly practice. But that's the beauty. You know, there's so many different ways to practice. And yeah, it's you inspire many. I would just add
1: one more thing because this is about practice and One thing I do try to do is make practice easy on yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you play an instrument, um, it doesn't have to be your best guitar, but hang a guitar on the wall or keep it out on the stand. If you practice yoga, have a mat ready. Um, I have a hangboard in my living room, which is a climbing specific thing. And I've noticed house fitting other people's houses that I slip off of my training routine because it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. If I have to go out to a garage or uh, with running or whatever, I would just say, don't go home. Whatever you do, don't go home from your job. Have your workout gear
0: in your car. Whatever your workout is, music, anything. Just don't go home, because then you get pulled. This is awesome advice and so so helpful for folks. I yes, I believe in this strongly too. There's like the out of sight, out of mind for the stuff you don't want. Like Grayson asked me to buy. It. That's my son. Um, Rice Krispie treats yesterday. I am such a sneaker for, and you know, I spend most of my time working from home. I was like, "Honey, I can't have those in the house. I'll just keep eating them when I like feel like I need a treat." And I was like, "We need to hide them." And then, like, we had this whole thing this morning, and so that this out of sight, out of mind. And I was like, "You know what? This is good practice, morning. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to just like let it be and just choose not to." But I do that with other things in my life because, yeah, whatever we can do to create ease to make it accessible, yeah. set yourself up for success. It. Yes, yeah. I love it. And I I've known this about you, the hangboard, and you've inspired so many people, you know, just locally about in that way, you know, so you
1: yeah. do it, make it easy on yourself. Don't get onto complicated, like practice routines or like protocols for your physical training or whatever, or your musical training, like make it simple. Cause you'll do what you can do, yeah. but if you overcomplicate it, then you're setting yourself up for failure most of the time.
0: And make it fun too. I think this is another thing that, that we forget, but that it can be so helpful. So making it easy and making it fun, like, yeah, whatever it is. You look forward to it, not. Yeah. Not a dread. It shouldn't be a checkbox. No, not, not a, I have to do this. I get to do this. Exactly. Yes, exactly.
1: Oh, this is so awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. Oh, thank you for having me, Angela. And you're an inspiration to everybody too. It's been great to know you all these years and I'm psyched for your podcast and what you're doing.
0: Thank you. Yes, yeah, it's been super fun. <laughs> I so appreciate Lisa coming on to the show today to share her journey with the practice of music. Uh, here are a few of my takeaways from our conversation. The first is temptation bundling. Uh, don't be afraid to reward yourself for your efforts of practice. And although we share a sweet reward, cookies. Um, I'd highly encourage, <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. No, I'm just kidding. Something non-sugar related, but um, I'm blushing as I say that. Now, temptation bundling is such a great idea and you know, to really support whatever it is you're trying to build a new practice with. I think once a practice is established, we need those little rewards less and less. So uh, the other is, I just loved this quote by Lisa: "When you're not thinking, is when you do the best." Think of this as flow state, or I, you know, so I, I love the word magic. Even though I'm, I'm doing a deep dive into that word and the difference between miracle at the moment and magic. But just this idea that, like, there's an ease of movement through us when we get out of the thinking brain and more into that heart space or that connected space. Um, that might be more relatable for some. So when you're not thinking is when you do the best. With that, Lisa shared that she doesn't believe you can cram, that you know it's the little bits of practice over time that prepare you to enter that flow state or Um, the place where the magic happens and then the last is to make it easy ever since i've known lisa she's had and i've actually had several other friends mention this and she inspired them to put the hangboard in their house so yeah she you know just if you can see it my meditation cushion is always out staring at me it's actually in my office space make it easy (laughs) thank you so much for listening to ritual practice Thank you for tuning in to the Ritual of Practice podcast. You can find the show home at ritualofpractice.com. Follow us on your favorite listening platform to receive weekly inspiration for your practices. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you love. Until next time, keep practicing.